so glad you've joined us on the ERLC podcast to explore how the Bible addresses important cultural issues pertaining to life, religious liberty, marriage and family, and human dignity, and how we can walk in wisdom for God's glory and for the flourishing of our neighbors. If you're enjoying this podcast and find it helpful, please leave a review wherever you listen. This will help more people find and benefit from what we're learning together. We are grateful for the time you take to join us for these conversations. You're listening to the ERLC podcast. Woods of Africa, you know, or any, or don't, I'm not going to say that, woods of Africa. And the plains of Africa, they're plains, right? It also rains in Africa. <laughs> it rains. Uh, Africa. <laughs> I don't know the words. <laughs> I felt the rain. Hello, and welcome back to this week's episode of the ERLC podcast, where each week we'll be talking about our work at the ERLC and focusing on what Christians should know about the things going on in the world. I'm Lindsay Nicolay, and with me this week is a special guest who you are very familiar with because we talk about him all the time. You should feel honored. Jason Thacker. Well, I'm glad to be here on the podcast with you, Lindsay. Well, just to clarify, I didn't mean our listeners should feel honored. I meant you should feel honored that we talk about you all the time. Oh, okay. I'm honored to be on the podcast, though, as well. Oh, well, we're glad to have you, and we're excited to talk about Following Jesus in a Digital Age, your new book, and the reality of what it looks like to follow Jesus in the digital age. Normally, so when we have Hannah on here, we had Hannah on here a couple weeks ago who runs our DC office. I told her, you know, she is, she's much prettier than Brent. So I'm not going to say that about you, but what I am going to say is that you are much taller than Brent. A little bit, yeah. But your hair wave is about the same, it's just different, the height of your hair wave. So, so... <laughs> Do you do you feel awkward yet? Uh, a little bit, but okay. it's all right. That's okay. That's what I specialize in. Uh, so let's get started and talk about what's been happening lately. And we're going to talk about what the ERLC has been featuring. So this week, we have focused on the issue of marriage. And we just wanted to remind everyone, remind Southern Baptists, that we stand for and advocate for the biblical definition of marriage as God has designed. That is cannot be changed, and it's what is for our flourishing. And so we featured a few pieces that will help, I think, equip Southern Baptists and Christians to be able to think well about these issues. So the first one is by Tim Counts. He's a pastor, and he's actually writing a book on marriage. And this is titled, Why Should Christians Care About the Definition of Marriage? Understanding Important Bible Passages. So in the beginning, he talks about a lady in his church who came to him and said, I believe that as Christians, we're to stand for the biblical definition of marriage. What I struggle with is why does it matter what the government decides? Yeah. If government changes the definition, why does that matter? And so Tim, as a wise pastor, goes to the Word, and he pulls out what he calls uh, gospel reasons for why marriage matters. So what the Bible teaches us and what that means— in our public policy and why Christians should care about it. Mm -hmm. And he gives three reasons, and I would highly recommend that you check out that article. And then the second one, the second article is by our coworker, Jordan Wooten, and it's an explainer, and it's what you should know about the Respect for Marriage Act. And we've talked about it a little bit, 
So the Respect for Marriage Act seeks to codify same-sex marriage into law. So that means that it would be harder to overturn, like Roe v. Wade was just overturned at the Supreme Court. And so in a sense, this is a kind of a reaction to that. And a lot of this is because if listeners are probably very familiar with this, but with Obergefell v. Hodges, where same-sex marriage was made legal nationwide, it was made legal because of a Supreme Court decision. And Supreme Court decisions are not law. They're not codified. And so one of the things that Congress is seeking to do is to codify that so that that is harder to overturn or it's something that it will not be able to be easily as overturned, even though Roe v. Wade was very difficult to overturn. It took almost 50 years. Uh, that's something that lawmakers are seeking to do specifically in Congress, and this has already passed the House, and it's currently at the Senate. So we've heard, as Hannah talked about a couple of weeks ago, that the Senate might vote on it this month, which is September. And the surprising thing is that there seems to be some support from Republicans yeah. for this Respect for Marriage Act. So this explainer, Jordan, does a great job of just telling you what it's about, uh, why it matters, how the ERLC is advocating And uh, I love when we do these explainers because many of these issues are complicated to me and I don't understand how it works. So this makes it very accessible and we will continue to update you on our website and on social media as things develop. Yeah, and one of the things that I really appreciate, not only about Jordan's explainer, but also Tim's piece as well, is to say this is an issue that matters. And a lot of times I think we think that as culture has kind of moved on, that Christians will move on or will kind of adapt. But marriage is central not only to biblical understanding of the Christian ethic, but it's also central to just how God has designed us as male and female. And that's something that's unchangeable. It's not something we get to define our own realities or we get to reshape marriage to our own likings. And it's something that's really um, at the core of what we do here at the ERLC is speak speaking to God's unchanging world in the midst of a very much changing culture, very quickly changing culture. And so that's something that we're going to continue to advocate for is a biblical definition of marriage, because it's not only a reflection of what's good for us, but it's also part of God's good design. Yeah, and we'll do so in a way that calls Christians to conviction and to boldness, but not to fear, because ultimately we know that God's ways are for our good. Like you said, they're unchanging, and so they will win out in the end. We have several other pieces on our site this week. This week is also Suicide Prevention Awareness Week, so we have a piece about that, and we're sharing some of our older pieces on social media. So I'd encourage you as listeners to go on our website and look that up. But for now, Jason, that's your look at what's happening on ERLC.com. So for our culture section this week, we're going to do things a little bit differently, and we're going to talk to Jason about his new book and about ethical issues and technology. So let's go ahead and get started. Jason, I'm excited to pick your brain on some of these things because they matter to us. And I think you're going to help us see why that is today. So the first question I want to ask you is, what are some of the biggest ethical issues in this digital world that Christians should be aware of? I think it's really easy, especially in our digital age, to see some of them, whether it's, you know, uh, claims of censorship online or social media and the bias and things like that. There's some ways that we naturally as uh, society and specifically as Christians kind of rush toward But I think one of the things that we have to do in our digital age is to slow down and to step back and to realize there are actually much more monumental kind of shifts going on in our society. And that's what I'm really hoping to do in this particular book, Following Jesus in a Digital Age, is to call Christians in the midst of an age that wants to go faster, 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 to slow down and ask some of these bigger questions about what is technology? How is it forming and shaping us? And in particular ways, I think some of the most pressing issues often that's not as much talked about is the way that technology 
reshaping our approach to truth and the nature of truth. We've seen this with the rise of conspiracy theories and fake news, misinformation, disinformation, and how easily that terminology is thrown out for something I don't like. When we think from a Christian perspective, when we engage technologies, how is technology changing the way that we view God? How is it changing the way we view ourselves and the world around us, including just the very nature of truth? So you have issues surrounding uh, the nature of truth in a very pluralistic age. You have a lot of questions around responsibility and what are our personal responsibilities and questions of what should the government be doing? What should the technology industry be doing in the midst of a very curated age? And then I think some of the most pressing questions for us is how we live our identity as Christians, not only as Christians in relationship with God, but also as part of the local church. And what does that look like in an increasingly digital age where so many of our relationships are mediated or kind of altered by the nature of technology, where we're always on our phones, we're always on our devices? We have to realize these things are not neutral in that sense. They're very much shaping our perspective of the world. So you've already touched on this, but I want to drill down a little bit more. Your book, it's called Following Jesus in a Digital Age. So you've talked about the nature, how technology is shaping what we believe about God and truth and causes us to speed up instead of slow down. How does technology make following Jesus, so our walk with the Lord, more complicated? And again, remind us, why does this matter spiritually? Well, one of the the great lies, I guess you can say, of technology, but really even more than technology, is that this world and our lives are all about us. It's all about me. It's a me-centered universe where it's all about me and uh, my truth, my reality, being able to express who I truly am and how that can change tomorrow or what have you. And we see that not only in terms of technology, but even in issues of sexuality and marriage, what we spoke about earlier, is we are deluded to believe that the world is all about us. And that's one of the ways that technology aids that and it kind of shapes us is that it leads us to believe that the world is really about us, that our lives are really about us. But a Christian perspective on technology and really a Christian perspective on culture is kind of summed up in John 3.30 where Jesus is and we're told that we must decrease so that he might increase. There's this perspective that um, is really common throughout ethics that we you either have a God-centered perspective or you have a me-centered perspective or what, say, a theocentric perspective about God or an anthropocentric perspective about me. And those are kind of the two approaches to life. It's the two approaches to ethics. It's the two approaches to the public square. And what I'm trying to do in this book is to say— Technology is feeding this sense that it's all about me in every single aspect of my life. And what Christians stop, and we have to slow down and ask some of these harder questions, what is technology? What is it doing to us? Well, it's shaping it to make it seem it's all about me. And what we do as Christians is saying, not actually, it's all about God and cultivating that Christian worldview that permeates every single aspect of our life because it really upends this current world order and reminds us of the way God created us and who he is as the creator God, how he made us in his very image and how he calls us to live in the very difficult times that we do live in. You mention how technology tempts us, which is already the temptation of every heart in our fallen state to focus on ourselves. And this isn't really anything I'm looking for an answer to. It just made me think. It's just, it's interesting to see how that me-centeredness plays itself out in America and in a land of prosperity and where the narrative is individualism anyway. I wonder how, because I've heard that even in the poorest places and third world countries, there's still access to phones, smartphones. Like, I wonder how that 
me-centered drive is changing. I just wonder what that pull of technology looks like in individual societies. It's just an interesting. Yeah, and that's the thing is it's really shaping how we all view the world. And I think in a particular context here in America, is it shaping our view of God, as I've already said, it's shaping our view of ourselves to make it all about us. Um, it's social media, it's our platform, it's my feed, it's my this, my this, my this. And then also the way we view the world around us, including our neighbors, where we start to treat our neighbors as simply avatars or just enemies online in a very polarized, intense age. And it's not just a left or right issue. We see this in subgroups and various fringe groups. We see this in interest groups. We see this kind of all across the world that a lot of the promises of technology was that it was gonna give us greater access to information. And it did that in some ways. It was gonna bring about kind of a new world order where we all came together and we were gonna have deeper relationships and rich community. And in some sense that happened. So I don't wanna say technology is all bad by any means because technology is not all bad, it's not all, it's not all good, it's not all bad, and it's definitely not neutral but it is distinctly shaping the way that we view the world. And I liked what you said earlier when you said that, you know, a lot of these issues aren't new per se, and that's exactly right. From a Christian perspective, when we engage in what it means to follow Jesus in a digital age, we have to recognize that the challenges we're facing today, while they may seem new and novel, and we may think that the Christian ethic or the biblical understanding of world doesn't really apply to the issues that we're facing today, Really, technology isn't causing us to ask new questions of humanity per se in our life together. It's causing us to ask these age-old questions in light of new opportunities. So I was doing an interview not too long ago where I was talking about the nature of misinformation and conspiracy theories and fake news. And a lot of times people will say, oh yeah, that's something really new. Well, reality is, and I write about this in the book, uh, one of the main figures is a guy named Jacques Ellul. He's writing in the 50s about the nature of propaganda. And that's exactly what we're seeing on social media. He writes about it in the history of politics and how politics in many ways is involved in a lot of propagandic type of messaging uh, to shape and form people to encourage them to do particular things. But then it reminds me of going even back to Genesis 3. And you think of Genesis 3, you see in Genesis 1 and 2, God created the world. He created all that we know. He's created man in his image after his likeness. And then by Genesis 3, you see the lie that the serpent tells Eve. What does he tell her? He says, if you take this fruit, you'll be like me. And it's always struck me to say, she was already like God. And, but he was deluding her, not only confusing her and who God was, but also who she was, but also was telling her this lie to manipulate her, to get her to do something, to uh, control her in many ways. And he, he fed her this lie that she could be like God if she took from, if she ate of the fruit. She was already like God. We already read about that. She was created in God's very image and after his very likeness. And so you see that initial, that fake news, that conspiracy theory, that propaganda that was being put even back in Genesis 3. And so I think I say all that to say is one of the things I think we need to do as Christians is we're cultivating wisdom for the digital age that we inhabit now is to be reminded the fact that a lot of the issues we see at the root and at the core are actually age-old sins and vices being lived out in light of the new opportunities before us. Now, that doesn't mean that things aren't worse than they've ever been in some sense on some of these, but it does mean that at the core, and a lot of times the solution is a lot of these biblical principles that do apply in our digital age. And so we can start to see the connection between the biblical text and the Christian ethic and the way that we're called to live in the midst of our technological society. Well, and as Ecclesiastes says, there's nothing new under the sun. Exactly. It just plays out in different ways. So you have mentioned misinformation, the nature of truth, and and how technology tempts us in this way. 
So if you had to pick an aspect of technology that we need to pay the most attention to now as Christians for our own lives and spiritual health, the health of the church, maybe it would be that, but like in a more practical way, would it be our use of social media or video games, you know, whatever else? Could you drill it down to one thing right now? Yeah, I think kind of drilling it down to kind of broadly is to say, I think the way that we understand the nature of truth and reality is being distinctly shaped by technology. It's changing the way we view who God is and the nature of truth, the nature of reality, but also who we are as created in his image. And I think a lot of times people want to naturally kind of gravitate towards these very political or kind of social aspects to say, oh, conspiracy theories and fake news, that's a problem on the right or a problem on the left. And it's always us versus them. We are the ones who are always right and they're always wrong. What we have to step back and say, no, it's actually shaping our culture. Meaning, the whether it's fake news and conspiracy theories that are promoted on social media or information that's promoted without context and depth, often you see this when a breaking news story happens. The moment it happens, everyone puts on their lawyer hat or their foreign policy hat or their epidemiologist hat or whatever, and they're suddenly experts on all of these various issues, and that changes almost every single day. Well, why? Why do we feel the need to do that? It's because technology is shaping and forming us to make us think that we must have an opinion on everything that crosses our feet, that somehow we have to respond, we have to speak to everything. And often we do so whether it's misinformation, meaning that we simply don't intend to promote false information, but we do unintentionally, or disinformation, which I talk about in the book, is that intentional spreading. It's malicious in many ways. It's intended to push people to a certain way. And we see that play out on the left and the right, we see this play out all across society, is that it's not just about, again, it kind of comes back to, is it a God-centered universe or a me-centered universe? And this is where we're seeing, it's kind of the rally cry of our culture right now. And one of the reasons I think this is maybe one of the more important aspects for the church to grasp is that we think that it's a problem over there, but in reality, we live in a world where truth has become very malleable. It's become something that we get to form. It's something that we get to shape. We get to derive meaning. So whether it's I get to live my truth, my reality, or it's my body, my choice, or what have you, technology is feeding a lot of these undercurrents that are happening throughout our culture. And I think it's high time for the church to step up and to be able to speak boldly, but also graciously, inculcating that truth and grace that we see throughout Christ's ministry as speaking clearly to the the realities of, you know, not only sexuality and gender issues about how God created man and woman after his likeness, after his design, but also speaking to the nature of who God is. Because we as Christians, and this is always a good encouragement in the midst of a lot of these conversations of conspiracy theories and fake news, is Christians follow the way, the truth, and the life. There is a fixed reality, and it's something that's outside of us. And that's something I always am struck by with the Christian ethic when we talk about discipleship. Ethics is discipleship. I think we have to grasp that, that ethics isn't some kind of weird academic discipline. It's just daily life. We're making ethical decisions every single day. It's how we're called to live in this world. But it always reminds me of Matthew 22, verse 37 through 39, where Jesus said, the sum of the law and the prophets, the how we are to live in this world is to love the Lord our God with our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love our neighbors ourselves." Interestingly enough, that is almost the complete uh, antithesis of our culture today because it's always about me. It's always about me and my inner reality, my truth about me and me, me. But what is Christ saying there? He's saying to love God and to love our neighbors ourselves. That's outside of us. It's taking the focus off of us and putting it on God and on our neighbor. 
and living in light of those truths. And so I think that is one of the most countercultural things that the church can really start to believe is that we're called to love God and love our neighbor throughout every aspect of our society, whether it's online or whether it's in person. And that will radically alter the way that we approach the public square. It will radically alter the way we address some of the biggest issues of the day from biblical justice to marriage and sexuality to issues of pro-life and even issues of technology is to call us outside of ourselves to a greater reality, a fixed reality, ultimately that is for our good because of who God is and how he made us in his image. And that's the only thing that can enable us to live in a different way is the unchanging word of God exactly. and his spirit at work in us. Uh, like the word says, he who is in us is greater than he who's in the world. If we try to do this based on some kind of other system, or our own strength, like you said, it just, it won't happen. We will fall prey to the enemy's lies. So a lot of times, some of these concepts can be so nebulous and ethereal. And, you know, you talk about ethics and technology, and it just seems like something that is reserved for men and women in their ivory towers, yeah. you know, and not people in the midst of everyday life. So you had an op-ed in USA Today about technological issues, about misinformation and the abortion industry and online, the online world, which will help us kind of understand the question I'm about to ask you, which is how do these technological issues relate to what Southern Baptists have commissioned the ERLC to actually do? We're not just sitting here thinking about things and talking about big concepts. How are we putting those our theology into action? Yeah, that's one of the biggest questions I get in my role as I lead research and specifically talk about technology ethics is how does that tie into the greater calling that Southern Baptists and the commission that Southern Baptists have given to the ERLC? And simply put, we're called to not only speak to the whole of the Christian life, but called to speak to particular issues. And one of the temptations in our digital age is to think that technology is some kind of separate set of issues. And there are some unique issues with technology, but they're actually always tied to these grander kind of issues that we focus on. So often in our work, we talk about issues of focusing on biblical justice or international issues, religious liberty issues, issues of pro-life and human dignity, issues of marriage and sexuality. Well, technology is not an addition, kind of a sidestep or another category of issues we speak to. It's actually intricately connected. It's, it's deepening the work that we're doing, the, the calling that we have from Southern Baptists to speak to these issues of marriage and sexuality or religious liberty or international issues or even biblical justice, that technology is an element of those. And so specifically what you mentioned with that op-ed at USA Today was speaking to the issue of the way that Yelp is mislabeling pregnancy resource centers, causing doubt and causing and sowing confusion to argue that these clinics don't offer medical services or may, may or may not provide. And this very uh, disingenuous labeling is um, very dangerous because it can mislead women in the very moment that they're making life and death decisions to understand the full range of options before them and the care that they have. And so Yelp is doing that. But you notice this is an issue surrounding abortion. It's about caring for women in crisis and vulnerable women and also just women in general who have an unplanned pregnancy and caring and wrapping around them. 
um, with care, but you also see this as intricately connected to the way Yelp is shaping and forming the way that we view the world around us in terms of we check the Yelp reviews, we check X, Y, and Z of where we're going and things like that. So technology is an intricate part of every single aspect of our life. And on a super practical level, you can think about this in terms of, you know, whether you have teenagers or young children, we're talking about the nature of screen time, we're talking about the nature of devices and iPads and phones and when is the best time to have them and what type of apps and what type of controls should we have on these things, but also look at our own technology. I think it's interesting, even as we sit here in the studio, that each of us have our phones within about a foot of us at all times. And I've noticed even in my family, you start to get a little uneasy when you don't know where your phone is. It's almost become part of us where we start to miss it. We start to wonder like, what's going on right now? That's another subtle way that technology is forming and shaping us to feel like we're always missing out on something or we we need it in order to stay connected. So much so that even on my wrist right now, I have an Apple Watch and it buzzes when something comes through. So not only do I not only have my phone within a foot or so of me at all times, but I also have this Apple Watch. Things like that where we're becoming so connected where it's difficult to disconnect. And I think this is where we start to realize that technology isn't just a separate set of issues that we have to focus on, but it's actually just part of Christian discipleship. It's part of what it looks like to be a Christian in the midst of a digital age is recognizing the ways that technology is subtly yet radically altering and shaping the way we view the world, specifically altering the way we view God, ourselves as his image bearers, and the world around us, including our neighbors that we're called to love as ourselves. You know, and choosing to live differently and evaluating how we behave as Christians as it regards technology, is difficult and hard. Yeah, it is. Because, like you said, there's real FOMO, fear of missing out, and technology makes things infinitely more convenient. I don't want to go back to the day and age of no air conditioning. Yeah, and nor should we. Yeah, no, no microwave. But like smartphones, it you've got to evaluate how you're using those things. And it may be a call, God may have a call in your life to lay down that convenience but it may not be someone else's call. And that's something that's hard for me to wrestle with. Like, I don't have the Apple Watch. I kind of wish I did, but I feel like it's not right for me right now. Well, and that's one of the things that I'm doing kind of in the first chapter of the book is kind of peeling back the layers of the world in which we inhabit to help us to understand what's really going on. And that technology isn't just simply a tool that we use. In many ways, it's using us, but it's forming the way we view the world around us. And so I think that one of the things we have to step back and recognize is that we do need to be addressing kind of tips and tricks and best ways to use these devices. But at the core of it, we have to cultivate wisdom, which is really the thrust and kind of the core of the entire book. And really the kind of core of what we do here at the ERLC is cultivating a biblical mind, a biblical worldview that's informed and shaped about how we engage the culture around us and the culture within us in many ways with wisdom and with care, understanding who God is, how he's made us in his image and how we're called to live. And that's one of the reasons that I'm glad you brought up earlier, you know, referencing Ecclesiastes. I talk a lot about Proverbs throughout the book. You know, this is one of those things that we not only focus on having the right beliefs, the right doctrine, the right theology, but also having the right ethic about how God has called us to live in light of those truths. And sometimes, and I've noticed this in my own life, and I've noticed this in in our churches and even throughout our convention and really the wider societies, we say we believe one thing, but we very clearly do something different. And that's something that our ethic is actually revealing what we truly believe, what we truly worship. And as broken sinners, we need to recognize that. We need to be able to confess those things to the Lord, come to Him, and to seek to align what we say we believe with what we do. And that's really the nature of theology and ethics, and it's core of what we're doing here at the URLC. 
And in the social media world, I think, as the Proverbs say, fear of man lays a snare, but those who trust in the Lord are kept safe. That is a lot of what holds people back and or motivates people as well. Yeah. Fear of man culture, because you're going to miss out, or what are people going to think of you, or whatever. And that fear of man can also play its way out in in speaking truth in the public square. I mean, that's you see this, well, I'm going to be all truth and just speak truth no matter what, or I'm going to be all grace. Neither are the appropriate Christian response to cultural engagement and engagement in the public square. We're to speak truth and grace, not to capitulate, not to cower, not to be fearful, fearful of man, but we're to be fearful of God, which is the the, the nature of very wisdom we see in Proverbs 1. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so I think that's one of the things that we can do is to not only speak truth boldly, but to do so with grace and understanding and speaking to those realities and helping our churches and helping our ministries and even helping our families to navigate the digital age that isn't just about social media. It's about so much more than that to help us navigate that with wisdom. And I'm thankful for how uh, the Lord is using people like you to help us navigate those issues with wisdom and with integrity and with hearts that want to, above all, love the Lord our God and then secondly, love our neighbors as ourselves. So, I'm glad that you joined us to talk specifically about your book and these technological issues today and shed some light on these things. Before you go and before we close our podcast, I want us to talk about one more note because there is a major cultural event happening this weekend. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. Last week, college football started. This week, NFL. I don't really love NFL, but I love football and college football season and the snacks and the camaraderie and uh, annoying fans like Tennessee Vols fans, Mm. which you are one of those. It's okay, Florida. And so is Brent. Yes. But listen, I'm just trying to enjoy the ride. You guys think you're going to win the national championship this year after one game. I I don't think so. I don't think so. I don't follow it like I used to. I don't even know who our coach is, what his name is. (laughs) Billy Napier is your coach, by the way. so many I know more about your own team than you do, but— We've had so many coaches that we've cycled through. But anyway, I'm excited about it. NFL. Do you follow? I do. So I'm pri- I'm a Tennessee Titans fan, obviously, mm-hmm. kind of born and bred here in Nashville. I remember their first season and going all the way to the Super Bowl and falling about a yard short from a Super Bowl victory uh, with Kevin Dyson oh, there on man. the, the one-yard line against, the uh, at the time, the St. Louis Rams. Um, but I'm not a huge NFL fan, but I like the Titans. And so I'll follow the Titans, especially Derek Henry and Ryan Tannehill and others. Um, but I'm more, as you already alluded to, I'm a college football fan, specifically a Tennessee volunteer. So I'm Tennessee all the way through. Tennessee Vols, Tennessee Titans, Nashville Predators, Memphis Grizzlies, and even now the, Nash- the new Nashville Soccer Club. Well, in the office or just throughout, all of us spread out around different places, states and stuff, and cities, we like to do a fantasy football league. But it is, I will have to say, horrid to see just the claws that come out while playing fantasy football. <laughs> it is like you see your fallen nature in action among your callings. Like, That's one all thing kinds I of never, deceptive tricks. I always played when the office, we had that kind of office um, fantasy football league. I always played in it, but I never got as intense as some people do. Mm-mm. One, because I just don't follow the games as closely as others do. And two, I'm more of a team fan than an NFL fan. And so I just don't know a lot of it. And so there were a lot of games that I wasn't watching and I would not start people when I should have and all of that, but there were some people who very oh, much got into it. Were tra- and there were there was a trophy and, and all of that. And, and it was Yeah, I can't handle all that. Me and Marie, we just had to back off. But we always did get Hattie B's chicken afterwards as a celebratory kind of 
uh, or there was the draft party or kind of the celebration at the end. So I always look forward to that. Yeah, well, that's, I like sports, but really I like sports because there's always some kind of concessions involved. Uh, so pretzels, Hattie B's, whatever it is, just like to eat. So yeah, ready for Sunday football? Well, it starts tonight. It's As we're recording Thursday, it starts tonight, Thursday night football. Jason, I'm so glad that you joined me for this episode. It was nice to not have to look at Brent <laughs> for once. And we are so excited about the work that you're doing in the digital world and helping us to think about how our theology plays out in our ethics and how we live life in a way that glorifies God and shows the world that the gospel is true and yeah. that it changes us. Oh, I appreciate you having me on. Just a reminder, you can find links to all the things we talked about today in the show notes. And if you like the podcast, please consider helping us spread the word by sharing the episode on social media or going into your favorite podcast app and leaving us a rating and review. The ERLC podcast is a production of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission and is hosted by Lindsay Nicolay and Brent Leatherwood. Technical production provided by Owens Productions. It's edited and mixed by Mark Owens. And in addition to listening to the ERLC podcast, be sure to check out our other ERLC podcasts. The Digital Public Square airs every Monday, and its host is Jason Thacker, who is one of the leading voices on technology and ethics. And if you like staying informed about important policy decisions that matter to Southern Baptists, Capital Conversations is our podcast directly from Capitol Hill, which is hosted by our colleague, Chelsea Sobolik. Search for The Digital Public Square and Capital Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks again for listening, and we'll be back next week with more content. Mm-hmm.